our shepherd king come to atone divine yet man so meek and lowly my path of death you walked alone O Lamb of God Prince of heaven to earth come down, yet God will raise you in his glory from Calvary's cross to heaven's passion of Jesus the Christ. He walked among us and we beheld his glory, the kind of glory that could only radiate from the very Son of God. He brought light into a world filled with darkness. He brought vision to those who could only see. He brought life where death reigned supreme. He did all this because he chose to be obedient to his Father. He was and is the pure and blameless, holy Lamb of God. It was obedience to his Father's will and purpose that led Jesus from his home in heaven in his earthly father's home in Nazareth. The path that he was called to walk would never be required of those who would have the courage to follow it. Who could imagine the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in sandaled feet moving among us to bring the miraculous news of God's love and forgiveness? It was the last Sunday before Calvary. Jesus, the other disciples, and I approached Jerusalem for the last time.
Jesus into the holy city for what would be his last Passover. Little did any of us realize that it would be Jesus who would become the final sacrificial lamb of the Passover. Jesus brought us was unlike anything we had ever been taught before. A new covenant was being delivered to all who would listen. Many who admired him as a leader would soon acknowledge him as Lord. He taught that the rich and the poor, the scholar and the uneducated, the king and the peasant were all equal and needy before a holy God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.
that there was no power equal to that of the Roman Empire, yet I found myself powerless at the fact that I could not even help my most favored servant. His sufferings were more than I could bear, and I realized that no penance nor no sacrifice would be able to bring about any signs of the end of his torture. In my anguish, I approached a young teacher that so many had been told so many stories about. I cried out to him. I said, Master, I said, my, my servant is at my house. He's paralyzed and is in such torture. He looked at me with compassion. He said, I will come and I will heal him. I told him that I wasn't worthy enough for him to come to my house, but if he just spoke it, that I knew that he would be healed. He made a few comments about my faith and asking of this miracle. And then he told me, he said, go. And he said, as you have believed that this could happen, he said, it has happened. No man had ever talked to me as Jesus did. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Paul Taylor, U.S. Army Reserves. And in 2005, as part of the war in Iraq, I was called up to serve as a field doctor for a battalion near the Iranian border. One day, I was supposed to travel by military convoy to a hospital in Baghdad to accompany a prisoner with a severe abdominal infection. But the mission was canceled when a convoy returning to our camp hit an IED, an incendiary explosive device. It was the third time in five days that one of our convoys had been hit. And so we waited until a nearby combat battalion could come and beef up security. And the next day, we headed out. Sitting in the back of a Humvee next to this very sick POW, I asked myself what I think every soldier in that convoy was probably thinking. Why are we risking all of this for a person we consider to be our enemy? I mean, I could see risking my life and the lives of other soldiers for another American, but all of this for a POW? As I sat 
I was tired. I was homesick. And when I realized it was Sunday and I was going to miss another chapel service, I grew even more depressed. So there I was, sitting in this armored vehicle with about 50 pounds of gear, body armor, helmet, weapon, the whole battle rattle. And standing next to me is a gunner with his head poking through the Humvee, scanning left and then right, pointing his automatic weapon at anything that moved. And we sped down the highway as fast as we could to make ourselves a more difficult target to attack. I decided to fight off my sorrow by listening to some music on my MP3 player. And since it was Sunday, I decided I would listen to some praise music. (sighs) Speeding towards Baghdad, crammed in the back of a Humvee, I sensed the presence of God as never before. God around me, God above me, God in me. And as tears ran down my dusty cheeks, I peered through the thick bulletproof window at the Iraqis with their flowing robes and their mud-walled houses, their children at play at the stately palm trees. And I sensed the presence of God as never before in everything I saw. Surely, in this desolate land, God was with us. For the past 12 years, I have suffered with an unstoppable hemorrhage. No physician or treatment could bring healing, as day by day my strength and my hope eroded. Now this man named Jesus came to our town, and one of the rulers fell at his feet, begging him to come and heal his daughter. I wanted to beg at his feet too, but the crowd had begun moving and, well, I was nearly crushed. He was almost beyond my reach, but I knew if I could just touch the hem of his garment, there was hope for me. In a moment of desperation, I reached through the crowd, and as I touched his robe, a powerful warmth surged throughout my body, and immediately, I knew I was healed. In that moment, the crowd stopped, and I heard Jesus say, Who touched me? Those around him were telling him that a lot of people were reaching out to him, But I knew that he was asking about me. My elation gave way to fear. And I was trembling as I approached him and I knelt at his feet. And in front of everyone, I explained why I reached out to him and what had just happened to me. 
Well, I expected to be scolded or at least ridiculed for stopping the procession of one so great. But every moment for the rest of my life, I will remember the loving words of my master as he looked down at me and said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. I've never experienced such compassion as this. It was the end. I knew it. I could fight no longer. I sat there motionless. I was totally alone. Just hours earlier, I had been taken to the emergency room with back pain so severe that at times it would drop me to my knees, and I was finally admitted. This was not my first hospital stay. I had been sick for a long time, it seemed. First came the flu-like symptoms that wouldn't go away. I battled for weeks and months. Eventually, I was unable to get out of bed. I was unable to eat without severe pain and vomiting. I finally sought medical help, but my faith, it was failing fast. Next came the test, some painful, mostly embarrassing. Then I developed a kidney infection that almost stopped my much-needed surgery. It disappeared miraculously. Eventually, my gallbladder was removed, my surgery was declared a success, and I was sent home. But I noticed that I still couldn't eat without becoming ill, and deep within myself I knew that I was still sick. My symptoms worsened. Here I was in the hospital again. It was in the middle of the night. No people, no miracle medicine, no strength left. I was just too tired to fight. I sat there, four walls surrounding me, and a bleep, monotonous bleep from my IV filled the silence of the room. It was while I was there that I did hear something else. But I didn't hear it in my ear. I heard it in my spirit. I heard someone crying, and I knew immediately that Jesus was crying for me. I was shocked, totally surprised. I didn't think he would do that for me. This experience did not leave me emotionally elated or physically touched. Life was the same except that I now knew I was not in this battle alone, and that Jesus cared for me in a way that my wildest imagination could have ever hoped for or expected. Yes, I can still hear that ivy beeping in my ears. Life is the same, but different entirely. I believe at that time Jesus made intercession to the Father for me, and when absolutely no one else would help me. He cared for me. I did recover. I thank you, Jesus.
I am a Samaritan. To the Jews, I was an outcast. But my degradation went far beyond my lineage. I was one of the walking dead, a leper. There were ten of us standing away from the crowd that day when we saw Jesus approaching the village. But we could not get near to him or to the crowd. But we called out to Jesus, begging for mercy. He stopped and looked at us. He told us to go show ourselves to the priest. Now, I was not one to be welcomed by the priest, even if I was whole. A Samaritan? A leper? But I obeyed. As we were walking to the synagogue, we were all healed at once. Now, I don't know what happened to the others, but my new feet could not carry me fast enough back to Jesus. I threw myself before him and thanked him from the deepest part of my heart. He asked about the other nine, and for the life of me, I did not know where they were. He told those that were with us that even though I was a Samaritan, that I was the only one that had returned to thank him. He smiled at me and told me to rise and be on my way because my faith had made me, had healed me. <clears throat> and I, nothing is the same since I have encountered Christ. And I have tried to live from that moment on, on with, with one, one thing to my life. life. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. I had an aha moment that stopped me in my tracks. I was in the candy aisle of Walmart shopping for Valentine's treats for a party we were hosting for the single moms in my church. Doing so took me back to the previous summer and a picnic that we had done for them same people. A picnic for which I had covered the cost. Oh, we had a great day. The single moms, their kids, myself, we swam and grilled hamburgers and hot dogs with all the fixings. And as the day waned on and we began to clean up, the moms began to divvy up the leftovers. But you know, no one offered me a thing. They seemed to have given very little thought as to where the picnic spread had come from. I have to say my feelings were a little bit hurt. I didn't need that food, but the slight was significant enough that it was sticking with me in the candy aisle at Walmart six months later. And then it hit me. How much more slighted God must be when we, as recipients of his enormous generosity, can't share even a portion of our resources with him. No, I didn't need that potato salad. And God does not need our money. But he craves our gratitude, our acknowledgement that everything we have comes from him. Thanks be to God.
We who were witnesses to the life and ministries of Christ could not help but be amazed at the things that he said and did. But the Master was not to be defined solely by the sum of the signs and wonders that surrounded him. As we saw in the last week of his life, the definitive nature of Christ was revealed in his obedience to the Father. He showed this in his sinless life, his love of the scriptures, his understanding of the real essence of the law, and more importantly, in his prayers. Jesus was a man of prayer and a God of compassion. Prayer was central to his life, and he wanted it to be central to those of us who loved him. To be sure we understood, he took the time to teach us how to pray.
It was important to Jesus that those of us who were close to him knew how to pray. The intimacy that we enjoyed with the Master would soon be coming to a dramatic end. It would be prayer that would sustain us when Christ was no longer with us in the flesh. On the eve of Calvary, Jesus shared his last Passover meal with us, his disciples. He encouraged us. He showered us with his love. And he told us what was going to occur. The message he shared with us will reach through the centuries. Revere the Christ. Remember the cross. Prepare for a crown.
While Christ was here on earth, he pleaded with God, praying with tears and agony of soul to the only one who could save him from death. I know this because I was there. And God heard his prayers because of Christ's strong desire to obey God at all times. And even though Jesus was God's own son, he still had to learn what it was like to obey, when obeying meant suffering. I learned this too, but it was much later.
Jesus was not a martyr, swept away in events beyond his control. We must never lose sight of the fact that he was God in human form. Had he not chosen to go to Calvary, there is no power in the universe that could have nailed him to that tree. What he did, he did willingly for you and for me. Christ understood the importance of making the sacrifice that only he could make. But the focus of his passion should not be solely on what was sacrificed, but rather what was offered. Not on the life that was taken, but on the life that was given. In obedience, he subjected himself to the will of the Father. Because he knew if there were no cross, there could be no crown.
Jesus the Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And having been found in appearance as a man, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. But Christ did not stay on the cross, nor did he stay in the grave. On the first day of the week, we were astounded to hear that the grave was empty. John and I ran to the tomb to see for ourselves, and yes, he was not there. He had risen. And still later, he met with the other 11 disciples while they were eating, and he told us, go into all the world and to share the good news with everyone. And when he had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at a place of honor at God's right hand.
Please be seated. We want to conclude this service with an invitation because this is a worship service. It's an opportunity for you to respond to a claim upon your life that Jesus has because of this story you have just seen repeated here this evening. This is the crown that God bestowed upon him, not as the world gave that would have lasted 20, 30, or 40 years, but the crown that came by way of the cross that lasts forever and ever. Jesus is Lord and Savior. And if you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, we want to give you the opportunity to respond by inviting him into your heart, confessing your sins, saying you're sorry for them, repenting of them, and inviting him into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. We're going to sing an invitational hymn, number 144. When I survey the wondrous cross, you'll use the hymnals and the pew racks in front of you. 144, when I survey the wondrous cross. If you have a decision to make public, I beg of you, don't leave this house of worship this evening before sharing that decision with someone. We'll be at the front here. Um, Share what God has placed on your heart. If you need to invite him in, we want to pray with you and, and help you bring that about. If you need to come forward and pray and rededicate your life, Whatever decision you have to make, make it tonight. Tonight is the appointed hour. Tonight is the night we commemorate the triumphal entry and Easter Sunday, recreating once again what Jesus has done for us. Let's stand together and sing hymn 144. Please come. Come.